Hello, this is Minnesota Nice to Meet You, and I'm your host, Julian. I grew up just outside of a tiny little town that no one has heard of in southern Minnesota farming country. And a few years ago, I had the experience of being a writer for the local newspaper there, where I started a column called Minnesota Nice to Meet You. I had the chance to meet with various residents and ask them a series of rather silly questions about themselves. And so this podcast was born out of that column because I missed writing it and also because I wanted to take it a little deeper into the lives and work of all of those interesting people that I met, the true variety of this place called home. I love my home state of Minnesota. But we do have a stereotype here called Minnesota nice, which sometimes means passive aggressive, but can also mean saying hello to strangers on the street or letting another car merge ahead of you or no one eating the last cookie on the platter at a gathering because no one wants to be that selfish. It means being open and welcoming. And there are so many artists and creators and professionals that have a lot to say and sometimes very little space to say it in. So this podcast is for those open-hearted creators and professionals and about getting to know them and hopefully having some interesting discussions along the way. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Minnesota. Nice to meet you. Um, uh, we'll be talking today with Julie Seedorf. Julie is a writer, uh, writes quite a bit of things, right? Mm -hmm. Column writing, um, fiction, uh, novels, um, and also a painter. Um, I dabble in watercolor. I'm just learning a lot, but it's actually my new passion. Uh -huh. So I guess I would just want to talk to you about you know, a little bit of everything with your creative endeavors and how Minnesota fits into that. Um, so I guess to start off, when did you first start writing? You know, I I thought about this for a while. And I, I've always said when people have asked me the question, oh, I used to write when I was young, but I don't think that's the truth. I actually became interested in writing my junior year in high school when Mr. Coletti, my English teacher, had a creative writing course within our English class, and I, I kind of hated English. I, you know, I'm comma challenged. 
And I excelled at the creative writing and the poetry, and I, I fell in love with creative writing. And from there, I went to take a speech class um, for a whole year. And that actually, I think I took it for two years, um, speech one and speech two. And there, of course, you learn to write creatively, too. So um, that's where I got my start. I totally feel you on the comma challenged thing. I it's a good thing that I have an editor sometimes. <laughs> um, so with that, did you, like with speech writing, was it creative nonfiction? Did you find yourself like wanting to tell stories or was it just writing? writing? Uh, well, speeches, we had different things that we had to um, write about and then present in class. And actually, uh, my books are humorous, uh, many of them anyway, and it's interesting because in my speech class, when I was a senior in high school, we had to write a humorous speech, and I was not a funny person. And that struck terror into my heart because I'd been getting A's, and what was I going to do because I was not a funny person? But I wrote a humorous speech, presented it, and I got an A-plus on that speech. And so that was was the beginning. I don't really tell stories. Um, I talk a lot. People will tell you that, except in my books. So that was kind of a hidden talent then. That it was, and my whole writing career has been an accident. So, <laughs> right. a gift from God. All right. So, did you? Um, when did you start like writing? Uh, being a columnist? I started writing a column in two thousand and five for the Albert Lee Tribune, and I I was I had broke my leg at the time, and I was laid up, and I started I. For some reason, I wanted to be a columnist, and so I wrote a column, and I sent it in to the Albert Lee Tribune, and they had just gotten a new uh, editor there, or a new manager, um, Tim Ingstrom, and he sent me an email and said to send him more columns, and I did, and so they hired me as a columnist, and I actually just, the 1st of January, quit my column. I continue it on one of my blogs. But after a column a week since 2005, I, I felt I was really, I really needed a break from yeah. that weekly writing task. That makes sense. Um, did you, like, or were there any, like, specific topics that you frequented? Or did you uh, talk about life? My column was called Something About Nothing. And the reason it got started, and I named it that, is one day I was walking down the street, and I said, hi, how are you, to someone, and they answered me, yes, the weather is nice, isn't it? <laughs> and I began to notice what we talk about all the time when we meet people, and it's the weather, or, you know, how are you, I'm always fine. And then one day I ran into a woman and that I didn't know very well, and I walked by her and said, how are you? And she said, fine. And for some reason, and I can't tell you why, I took a good look at her. And I stopped and said, you don't look fine. And she dissolved into tears. Um, I made a new friend. I learned what was underneath the fine. And I say, under every nothing that we talk about, there's always something um, to be said or something that needs to come out. And so my column was about a lot of different things. I wrote about class reunions. I wrote about selling my relatives on eBay. Um, I can tell the difference from my columns, my early columns to my later year columns, because I think my columns in later years have been more 
um, have more feeling to them and are more about people and what they go through in life. Okay, that's really interesting. I like that um, digging deeper into everyday topics. Um, do you, now that you've also published novels, do you have like a favorite between fiction writing or nonfiction writing? Uh, well, I really like fiction writing. Um, I write cozy mysteries right now. I've got a couple of other books in the works, and I write some books for kids. But for me, one of the reasons um, I started writing was because I was sick and I was in a depression. And I started writing this silly tale, and every morning it got me up to write the next chapter. And that actually turned into my first book after a lot of editing um, that the publishing company wanted. And so my my books are very lighthearted. Cozy Mysteries have no graphic sex, no graphic violence. Um, you know, they do have a murder because they're a mystery. But they're very, my mysteries are very silly. They're not your everyday cozy. And the reason I do that is they're kind of a satire in the way we live our lives in our communities today. And the idea, my, most of the time I write my main people are uh, grannies or older people because we have such a stereotype of when you reach a certain age, how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to do. And in our communities, the way we live, we have to live a certain way and paint our houses a certain color. So my books, I want to take the reader out of reality for a while, although um, along the way I do touch some topics that are near and dear to people's hearts, like Alzheimer's and things like that, are are wove in the story for different books and things. Okay, and so that um, you're talking about the Fuchsia Minnesota Fuchsia and the series. Minnesota okay. mysteries, yes. All right. Um, and so, would you say that any like long running themes in in that? in those works as like escapism or do you have other running themes? Um, well, escapism, um, along the way, I build my characters. And even though they're cozy mysteries and even though these characters are over the top and are very silly, I hope to weave in there a theme of our lives today. For instance, Granny is this crusty, crabby, over-the-top granny, but over the years and over the books, I just finished my sixth book, you find out what made Granny the way she is. It's She didn't just all of a sudden become this crazy woman. Um, when she was younger, she had to raise her kids up in the way they should go. She had a husband that expected her to act a certain way, and she couldn't be who she was. And I think we do that a lot in our lives. We temper down who we are to please other people. And so you have a lot of that theme in there. The other theme is my characters, a lot of them are very different and very accepted in their communities for who they are, even though they are different. So in the midst of all the silliness, I hope people see that um, uniqueness is okay in people. Right. Those are good themes. I like that. Um, do you, have you read other, like, similar work to your own, like, in those cozy mysteries, for example? Um, I admit I haven't read tons of mysteries. It's usually not my genre, but I just, I wonder... Um, if you you said that you felt you wanted to bring that silliness out as kind of like an escape or to take someone out of reality, did you also feel like that was missing from 
work that you read or do you know of any other? I, I think, no, I, I actually didn't. Um, I read all different kinds of, of um, books. I, I think the reason I wrote it was to get that outside of me. I don't think I even knew I had that inside of me. And I started writing my books during a very dark period of my life. And when I write, I can be as silly and as imaginative as I want to be, where in real life that hasn't always been accepted because I don't color inside the box, although I've had to conform to do that and I've not been happy about it. And although I didn't realize I was, you know, that was a problem. So I, I think for me it's, it's an escape too from the real world. Or maybe how I'd like to see the world be a little bit more. Um, on your website, I noticed in like in some of your author bios that you describe yourself as a dreamer, and I like I see that coming through and how you're talking about what writing means to you. Um, so, do you feel like you that your writing has really fostered that in you, or do you feel like you've always had that? I've always been a dreamer. I've always had that. It hasn't always been accepted, and I've always felt as if I don't fit in um, because it hasn't been accepted. You know, when I was younger, um, I'm, I'm old, I'm old, and when my day, when I grew up, if I would have said I wanted to be an author or gave out some of the ideas that I have, um, they would have told me to get my head out of the clouds and do something real, and I think we do that a lot with people. And I'm just a dreamer. I can see possibilities and everything. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean I always believe my dreams are going to come true. Some of them do. Sometimes I move on to a new dream. Um, if I quit dreaming, which I did during a period in my life, then something inside of me dies. And I, I think we don't teach kids and teach people to dream. Think what we would not have if we didn't have the dreamers out there. I definitely agree with that. I've, I've had that experience. I also write and um, I, I always sometimes feel like when you tell someone, well, what are you working on? And you say you're writing a story. The word story to them seems maybe childish or, or they don't really get it. They don't respect it maybe sometimes and um, I've also heard a lot you know in my studies of well why are you studying writing or why are you focusing so much on writing because you know it's one in a million you're not going to be the next JK Rowling but I'm not trying to be the next JK Rowling I'm just trying to tell my story I guess and and, and I get that because um, I, I will tell you since um, Cozy Cat Press, since I signed a contract with them in 2012, the venue has changed so much. Um, authors don't make a lot of money unless you are J.K. Rowling or someone like that. And it's a lot of hard work. People don't realize the hard work it is because if no one knows you're there and no one knows who you are, 
how are you going to sell your books? Because there are so many writers out there now because people can publish their own works. So you get lost in a sea of writers, and some of those works are good, and some of them are very badly edited and very bad, and there's so many free books out there that it's really hard for an author to make any money because, you know, in Kindle um, or on eBooks. People download free books and 99-cent books, and, and, and that's wonderful. I love my readers to have those, but somehow we have to make a living. And what happens, what a lot of writers feel, that if they give away a free book, that people will go on to buy their other books in the series. But I know people who have a 1,000 books on their Kindle. You can't keep up with it, so it's kind of a... A rough and tough world out there. Mm -hmm. Being a dreamer in that, sometimes your dreams head into reality, but yet um, my world has opened up so much with the people I know that I would never dream knowing my books sell all over the world. Um, but there's a lot of hard work in that. Yeah, writing is definitely a lot of hard work, and especially putting together, a, you know, like you said, writing a column a week since 2005 that's a lot of ideas that you have to constantly be looking at and with novels and especially a series you know tying all the ends together is well and there's a social media too because all your publishers expect you to do a lot of social media and now a lot of times publishers won't accept you unless you have so many twitter followers and so many facebook followers and, and but to keep up with all of that um is a lot of work too. Although I really like social media, as old as as old as I am. Yeah, that's fun. I like social media too. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of same with you know podcasts and really everything. I th I know a lot of a lot of my friends are were were writers or creators, and we're in that spot where we we have to build up the social media following or. Um, you know somehow get our work out there and usually it's it's free you know we're, we're putting out a podcast or I'm putting out a story and I'm not get seeing anything from it and I think that um, people don't readers don't necessarily always see it that way um, so it's a good perspective to have they don't but once you get a following I have some great readers and a, a great following that are very loyal and um, the other thing that's been a blessing in my life is other authors because authors are great at promoting each other so it isn't just when I send out a newsletter about my books it's uh, it might have 10 12 other authors books in it too and um, you know we we love our readers <laughs> It's just hard sometimes to keep going. And sometimes that social media wears you down because people aren't always kind. Um, it, most of mine are, meaning most of the people that follow me, I'd say 100%, are awesome, awesome people. But I, I do know authors who have people that follow them that just rip their works apart and it shouldn't because they're you know there's some very good authors out there the thing that bothers me the most I think is that when you talk about social media and you talk about advertising authors that are self-published or with small publishing companies we've got about 60 authors that are with the publishing company I'm with anyway they have a hard time getting 
getting their name out. And people keep buying the books by um, one of my favorite people, Alan Eskins, and all the people that are popular that you see the big publishing companies promoting. And let me tell you, if those are all the books you read, you miss some really good indie authors or really good authors from small publishing companies that should be out there. But I know where that other question was going to be. We're talking about awards and things. You know, I have won no awards. But let me tell you, one of the reasons I've won no awards is I don't apply for them. Awards are great. And I would be happy to have my work acclaimed. A lot of them cost money to put your name in for them, uh, which is fine where the bigger publishing companies do that for their authors can, and can afford to do it. Smaller publishing companies can't. But I don't write for awards. And I don't know. It'd be great if somebody wants to give me one. But I don't know that that would make a difference. If people would sell my book, maybe it would get my name out there more. I I don't know. But... Um, I don't pay attention to awards when I pick an author to read. Yeah. Um, and I read a lot of new authors. I like to read people I've never heard of before. I agree with that. I, I think that, um, like what you were saying earlier about, you know, self-publishing, is it is true that there are a lot of writers putting work out that isn't polished and um, maybe is a very first novel that they haven't really worked hard on um or shouldn't say worked hard on but haven't gone through the whole process but there's so many indie authors and I know so many writers that um aren't published through a press that are their writing is so good and it's exactly and you need brutal friends um to tell you the truth about what needs to be changed. And I have beta readers, but it's really interesting. My new book just came out, and um, not only did I have beta readers, um, I had editors. I have a publishing company that edits. And my friend that's at my house right now who picked up the copy of the book that I just got in the mail last week, and she said, oh, I noticed some editing mistakes in there. And I go, what? Where? Where? You know? But you'll even find that in books, you know, by acclaimed authors. It, it just happens. Sometimes it actually happens in the process, the publishing process and the programs they use for publishing. Um, so it, it is just kind of interesting. And I can't tell you how many times that book was read over. And you'll find that happens a lot. Um, the Kindle version, the e-reader version, that's easy to go and change very hard to go in and change the published right the print version so you were talking about beta readers and you know just other authors that you know do you um work with other authors do you like do any writing groups or well, well we do actually um well I work with Sisters in Crime. I'm a member of the sisters, Twin Cities Sisters in Crime in the cities, and they're a group of mystery authors. It's a national organization, um, and they have been instrumental to getting the word out there for my books. But I also have Cozy Cat Press, which is my publishing company, and I love all the authors there. And Cozy Cat, we recently, they said, okay, we have 22 authors that 
we want to sign on for this, and we want you to write a mystery. Each one of you take a chapter, and that's all they said. And it's like, okay, we've done this once before. Um, the first one was okay, and I signed on for the second one, the 17th chapter. I really had thoughts about that after because there's only 22 chapters in the book. And actually, uh, the author, Bart Gilbertson, who is a cozy mystery writer, started it off with a bang. So good. And then what would happen is they'd as each person wrote, they'd send us the next chapter. And I was getting to like, oh, can't wait for the next chapter. And then I had the 17th chapter, and it's like, oh, now what do I do? This is so good. But it turned out really good. So we collaborated on that. Um, we do blog tours together sometimes. I have a lot of author friends that aren't with Cozy Cat Press that I've met throughout. And then we also do blog tours, which are very interesting. It's like taking a tour um, say you were going to go to France and you hired an agency to plan your trip. Well, this blog tour, uh, it's called Great Escapes, um, and it's Lori Caswell. And anyway, uh, she lines up 14 blogs for you to be on in 14, 15 days. And those blog blogs tell you what they want if they want to read your book and review it, if they want a blog post from you, if they want an interview. They all get sent through Lori, and she sends them to you. You fill them out, send them back, and you go on tour, and then what you have to do is when it's your day to be on that blog, just pop in every once in a while. So that's a group of authors uh, working with. And Cozy Cat Press has some very interesting people. I, I always say I'm rubbing um, arms with celebrities because um, Steve Kaminsky, who is the head of poison control for the United States, is one of our authors. Elise Groden, who is actor Charles Groden's wife, is one of our authors. Um, one day I was talking to another one of our authors. Um, we were Skyping, and uh, her husband walked in and said, Oh, hi, sorry, can't talk. I have to go be on CNN. <laughs> And I'm like, CNN? Why is he on CNN? He was the Assistant Secretary of Defense in the 80s. Um, so it is just fun. I have um, one day Twitter, I had this person start following me on Twitter. And I thought, Daniel Goddard, that sounds like my young and restless person. And it's funny because I thought, yeah, right. And it really was him. <laughs> and so he follows me on Twitter. I don't know. You know, every once in a while, there's a few other people that you converse with on there. So, you know, social media has been great for expanding the world. Um, I have two author friends that live in Canada. Every night, we text back and forth five things we're grateful for each day. We've Skyped. I've never met them. But um, other authors are so great at helping each other. I definitely agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, kind of related to that, you know, a sense of like a writing community. Do you feel that um, being from Minnesota and particularly like rural Minnesota, do you feel like that um, that community also impacts your writing or your, um, I guess, your creative lifestyle? Um, I, I think it does. You get a whole different vibe in Minnesota than you get out in L.A. and things like that. And um, I actually, my editor, one of my editors, I do some self-publishing on my own, and she lives out in North Carolina. And she was editing one of my books, first one that she did for me in The Brilliant Minnesota, which takes 
fictional town in Minnesota, and she came back with all these changes. And I said, why do you want those changes? Why? Why? And she said, well, because, you know, you've got big box store here. What the heck is that? And, you know, some other things. And I said, no, you can't change that. That's Minnesotan. That's the way we talk here. And once she got the gist of that, um, that's the way we do it. And we've got some great things. Everything in my books are usually fictional, but in this last book, Granny goes to the Mall of America and she drives a freeway. And if you've ever been on a freeway with Granny, you might want to watch out. But, um, and Minnesota Nice is there too. And I know recently it just seems like there's so many things happening that aren't Minnesota nice, but they are. Writing communities, um, my Twin Cities sisters in crime, Alan Eskins actually is the one that got me started with them. I used to ride to meetings with him. And they are a wonderful group of Minnesota authors that um, band together, promote each other's books, promote each other, promote the mystery community. Um, and then in southern Minnesota, Sweet Reads over in Austin, Lisa Deo owns the bookstore over there, and she features all these Minnesota authors. And so through then, I've met a lot of Minnesota authors that I didn't know were around the area. We have a lot of them here. Um, we just don't know about them. That's, that's a good point to make. Um, I think that for me, I being Minnesotan like that Minnesota nice persona that you mentioned is you know a, a stereotype that we have and I feel that in other parts of the country it's a negative stereotype that, that maybe Minnesota nice means passive aggressive or maybe it means overly polite I've heard that before but I think that I hold tight to Minnesota nice it's part of the reason that I like named this podcast Minnesota nice to meet you because I think that I I think that there's a lot to be said for supporting each other and helping each other and you know to go back to one of the first things you said in this interview um, stopping someone on the street and saying hi how are you I'm fine and noticing that they were not fine is I think that's a very Minnesota nice um, aspect and it brought out something that maybe would have been kept hidden. Well, you know, I think Minnesota nice is there if you look for it, because I never seem to have any trouble meeting new people, meeting friends. Um, I was with my daughter-in-law in a Joanne's fabric store a couple years ago, and it was about 8, 8.30 at night, and this lady in front of me was checking out. And I I don't know what happened through that, but they got it checked out, and the, the checkout person said, oh, I'm so sorry I, you had to wait so long. And I said, no, no. I said, that's fine. You must be tired after a long day. And she said, oh, I just got here. But, and I said, oh, you know, you look tired. I hope, I, you know, you're doing a good job. I hope your night is better. And she started crying, and she came over and hugged me. And she said, you have no idea how much that meant to me. And my daughter-in-law is like, the clerk is hugging you. But that happens to me all the time. I have made friends in Coles up in the cities. You know, what you think a big city is cold and uncaring. But I have made some good friends just from being in stores. And we, I go back up the cities. We meet for coffee. I think Minnesota nice is what you put into it. 
and I think it could happen anywhere because I happen to think I was pretty nice too. I go there a lot and have met some wonderful people down there. Yeah. Um, do you feel that Minnesota comes into your um, writing in other ways? I know that the Fuchsia, Minnesota, and Brilliant, Minnesota, though they're fictional towns in Minnesota, so there's going to be the lingo that's there. But have you ever like written into your fiction a specific person, Minnesota, you know, person or um, like a place or a town? Um, actually, I, I'm working on a couple of books. One I'm working on is a serious book, and it's called The Joy Killer. And it's about a woman my age that goes looking for herself after all these years raising a family. And then the other book I'm working on is a new series. It's a cozy mystery. And I'm really finding myself putting small town Minnesota in there. Um, the heroine comes from Chicago and she moved by this Victorian house in a small town. Well, living in a small town um, is very different than living in the cities because someone comes to her and said, oh, I hear this person came to see you and that person came to see you and this. And she's like, are you stalking me? And he goes, no. He said, it's a small town. We all know what you're doing. And and that's not a bad thing. Um, I feel very good in my neighborhood because the neighbors know what I'm doing and they watch out for each other. And So I'm trying, I, I do incorporate that. I incorporate that even into my fuchsia series because the way you relate actually in a small town is a lot different than in a large city a lot of times. It's more um, close, maybe more a little more judgmental because you do feel that maybe more because you know people closer. And I've lived in this town all my life, uh, save for 10 years, and I think I've incorporating a lot of things, well, even in Fuchsia, the way things used to be in the community where you didn't have... Uh, you. You didn't have to worry about what you put in your yard because it was okay, and you didn't have to worry about if your cat was running around town because it was okay. You know, everybody watched out for each other's kids. My kids grew up in this town, and if my neighbor said to my kids, your son is doing that, I'd say, well, did you did you correct him? And I, I don't think we get that anymore. Or the teachers, if my child got in trouble in school, my one son said, I'd want them to call the police rather than my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, because we would side with the teacher. We, you know, um, it was such a difference mm -hmm. that I think our younger generation's missing. And so to me, that was Minnesota nice because I would visit California and didn't get that out there. So I, I think I do that in my books. Yeah. I, I don't think I could write about any place else but Minnesota. I like that. I, I find that I write about a lot of places, but I always, almost always write about a small town mm -hmm. because I grew up here in a small town. And I just like that's the life experiences that I have. And so when I'm creating new character that's just what comes naturally is that experience and I think that um, it's nice to put rural Minnesota or even just rural Midwestern like into fiction um, because I think that it's it's a different place than the cities it's a different world and like I, w I want people to see the beauty of small town and not just oh there's a small town you don't even have you know, a McDonald's, well, that's fine, you know, yeah. 
Well, you know, we talk different in Minnesota, too. It's funny, I was at a Sisters in Crime meeting with the Iowa Sisters in Crime, and um, I was talking to somebody, and they said, oh, you're not from Iowa. I go, no, I'm from Minnesota. Well, I thought so, because you you sound like you're not from Iowa, like you're from Minnesota, and I'm thinking, I didn't think we sounded that different. I I didn't think that either until I lived in Chicago for three years, and... um my coworkers there would call me Minnesota because I apparently had an accent that I didn't. Now I hear it all the time, but um, yeah, it, it comes through pretty naturally. Well, and the way we dress is different too, a little bit, because um, when my granddaughter was younger, I used to go up to the cities to a grand, grandmother, granddaughter tea, and I always marveled at the way women my age dressed and I loved it because they dressed so cool and so young and so chic you know and um, I you know I'd love to dress that way but I would not be able to and I would do it now because I'm over that but um, I remember thinking wow if I wore that at home I would be talked about for weeks but up there you know it it was perfectly acceptable. So I, I think there is a big difference between rural and city. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I just want to kind of shift directions here and talk a little bit about your um, watercolor paintings. You said that's kind of like a new uh, thing that you're getting into. How, can you tell me like how you started to get into that? Uh, yeah, I can. I have a friend. Her name is Charlotte Laxon. And she's a watercolor artist. She sells her paintings all over. She's taught in France. And um, I went to high school with her. And we got, uh, we went to college together for a little while. And then we lost touch for a lot of years. And all of a sudden, about seven years ago, out of the clear blue sky, she called me. Um, And anyway, we started getting together. Well, about two years ago, three years ago, um, she was giving a watercolor class at the Arboretum. And my friend, Donna, who lives in New Richland, I said to Donna, let's go take this. Let's go for a weekend, take Charlotte's class. Neither one of us know how to paint. And so we did. And I fell in love with watercolor. I I don't know that I'm very good, although um, I paint so different, again, than a lot of people because my paintings are whimsy. The The pictures I paint of a barn or a house don't look, they're whimsical. And Charlotte's taught me to accept who I am and to accept there's no right or wrong. Uh, just paint what you feel. And so if I sit down in the morning to just do a little painting as a devotion or something, I'm lost because I don't want to do anything else all day. It, it is a passion. Probably, I don't know if I'll ever do anything with it. I might do something with it in some of my books. But sometimes when you're writing, you get that writer's block. And I like to do a lot of crafty things, too. Weird crafty things, not normal crafty things. And so if I leave that writing for a while or I go and do watercolor or um, or spend time even with, my, with Charlotte, my creative friend... Um, it spurs the writing. It brings back the creativity to write. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And you said you mentioned earlier that you have written children's books. Mm-hmm. Do you see the paintings 
and the children's books merging, like illustrating? Well, I don't, you know, I, I have one children's book out. It's called Two Little Girls. And it's actually a book I wrote for my friend Donna when we moved from New Richland. And I did illustrate that. They're very bad illustrations. I'm thinking of redoing that. But I did that like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, I, I'm looking more at a devotional book that I'm going to do with my columns, where I'm taking some of my columns, and I'm working on that and adding some of the watercolor to that. Yeah. Where can readers find your books? And if you want to plug your social media a little bit. I can. Readers can find Granny and the Fuchsia Minnesota Mysteries and the Brilliant Minnesota Mysteries um, and the rest of my books on as e-books on Amazon. Some are right now available also on Kobo, Nook, BarnesandNoble.com. They will eventually all be available in the next few months on all those venues and Overdrive for libraries. You should be able to get them there. Uh, the print books are available on Amazon, on BarnesandNoble.com. Um, you can actually go into a Barnes & Noble store and order them. Uh, in southern Minnesota, you can find my books at Sweet Reads in Austin. You can find them in a lot of the libraries. You can also find them at the Interchange in Albert Lee and at uh, Bress Heitner Funeral Boutique, Bress Heitner Boutique. It's, it's a boutique in a funeral home. And my social media, juliecedorf.com, Facebook, Julie Seedorf author, um, Julie Seedorf on Instagram, Julie Seedorf on LinkedIn, Julie Seedorf on Twitter. <laughs> so, um, and I had have another blog called Sprinkled Notes, and that's the blog that I write about anything on. Where the blog on JulieSeedorf.com is mostly about writing and books and things like that. And I do book reviews on there too of authors you probably have never heard of, but you're really missing out. <laughs> All right, I should check them out then. Um, is there any uh, anything new on the horizon that we should watch out for? Any new books? Yeah, my new book, Granny Bricks a Bandit, sixth in the series of the Fuchsia Minnesota Mysteries, just came out last week. Um, Granny, one thing about fuchsia is um, I like houses with secret rooms, tunnels in communities, and fuchsia has some very, very good ones, and uh Granny decides to try water skiing. She runs into a dead body water skiing. Of course, you know, Mavis, her friend, really didn't know how to drive that boat. And, of course, then they decide to take a trip to the Mall of America because they're going to build an amusement park in Fuchsia. Um, and that in itself is a very interesting journey as far as granny driving on the freeway and what they find at the Mall of America. I have another book in the works. It's a cozy mystery, brand new series. I, got, I have it half done. I have no idea what I'm going to name it yet. Not quite as silly as the granny mysteries, but a good cozy mystery, my devotion book. And, of course, I'm always blogging and um, doing things like that. So, All right. Well... Thank you for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Yeah, and it was very nice meeting you. <laughs> yes, yes.
You have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening. Like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash Minnesota Nice to Meet You to be notified when we release a new episode. If you would like to support this podcast and receive early access to episodes as well as bonus content, you can donate to my Patreon at patreon.com slash prismaticjill42. Theme music is Something Old by Broke for Free on the Free Music Archive. If you would like to nominate someone to be interviewed on this podcast, please reach out to me on the Facebook page, or you can send an email to minnesotanicepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.